Um, let's start over, shall we? Uh, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 1, and uh, we are starting our Advent series today and calling it uh, Songs of Advent. Uh, and I want to start by asking you about your favorite song. Uh, do you have a favorite song? Uh, if you're like me, maybe there's, there's music you listen to, and maybe you, you have a favorite song because uh, it has a catchy tune. You're like, man, I can't get that tune out of my head. I really like listening. It sounds really good. Uh, or maybe you have a favorite song that uh, reminds you of a certain time in your life. I've been listening to a lot of late 80s, early 90s punk rock uh, because that was a fun time in my life. The music's not really that complex. The lyrics aren't necessarily insightful, but it takes me back to a fun time period of my life. Uh, so maybe you have a song like that that you know either has a catchy tune or reminds you of something important in your life. Or maybe you have uh, a favorite song that has some lyrics that really just get you. Do you have a song like that? You're like, man, those lyrics really just hit me right in the soul, right? See, music is important, and music usually resonates with everybody. Like, usually you, you have a song, it has some sort of meaning to you. Uh, there's a lot of musicians in the room, a lot of folks that like music. And um, theologian and author N.T. Wright says, Music gets to the human character where other things can't. And I agree with that. Music can get to the part of you that other things just can't get to. And we see that the Bible is full of song. The Bible is full of music. In fact, the Bible begins and ends with images of song. You see that at the very beginning in Genesis, God speaks very poetically creation into being. And as he presents Adam, the first man, with a wife, Adam's first response is to sing a song over her. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Right, you see, you look at the very end of the Bible and Revelation, and there are images of, of thousands upon thousands of people worshiping and singing praises to God for all eternity. And everything in between from Genesis to Revelation are images of song time and time again because music can get to you where other things cannot. You see that Moses, we've been in Deuteronomy for several months, you see that Moses actually has songs he's written uh, in the Bible, you'll see. And then David, who's the greatest king, has written numerous psalms that are, that are songs of the day that as praise to God of, of who he is and what he's done. We see that uh, the Apostle Paul actually uh, records uh, a, a Christian hymn in Philippians, and we see that the Gospels have indications of people singing, and the book of Acts, the early church was singing together. And, and there's a great uh, picture of Jesus in the Gospels that after they do the Lord's Supper, it says after they had eaten, they walked out and sang a hymn together. So, so songs are important because songs get to us where other things cannot. And we see uh, where we're going to be for Advent for the next couple weeks is looking in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 that there are a few uh, songs, if you will, of God responding to his revelation to them, people's response to God's revealed character for his action in their lives, their response to good news in song. So we're going to read Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56 today. This is Mary's song. Uh, so let me pray before we dive into that. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to your people throughout all generations. God, we thank you for uh, the advent of Jesus as we celebrate uh, your 
fulfilling your promise to send a redeemer, a king, a messiah. God, we celebrate that in Christ today. And Lord, we look forward to his return. So now, God, I pray as we worship, as we've done through singing and prayer, and as we will continue to worship through communion together and through fellowship, God, I pray now as we read your word and um, have the gospel proclaimed today, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds. Uh, God, that you would open our minds to understand and our hearts to receive the good news of Christ. God, that we would respond as true worshipers because of who you are and what you've done for your people. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away. He is sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is God's word. Friends, God always makes good on his promises. And he is present with his people for all time. And this gives us great joy and true blessing. We've seen, if you have read chapter 1 of Luke at all, you see that God uh, makes good on his promises. As, um, we've seen early on in the chapter how he, uh, through the angel Gabriel, promises that a Savior will be born and that his name will be called Jesus and that he will be the Holy Son of God. And then we see that this promise is given to a young girl, Mary, and as Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, Elizabeth declares, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And verse 45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. And this evokes great joy for us. And so as we pause and enter the Advent season, I want to ask, what is, your, what is the posture of your heart this season? Are you uh, excited? Are you eagerly anticipating God to do something great in our midst? Are you frustrated? Are you discouraged? Christmas time and the holidays can be a hard time for folks because sometimes it's when you get together with family members and, and maybe you, you have a hard time relating to Maybe it's a stressful time because your calendar is just jam-packed with obligations, places to go, and things to do. Maybe it's a stressful time because uh, finances may be tight and you're, and you're wanting to be generous to give and to buy gifts and all that kind of stuff. And so I want us to pause and say, well, let's, let's take a step back and see really what God is doing, what he has done for his people and what he's doing in our midst and, and what should really be the posture of our hearts. What is the response we are to have? So let's see right here in the story of Mary and her song. We see that Mary being told great news that a Savior would be born, actually that she would be the mother of the Savior, Jesus, the, the, the Savior of God's people. 
we see that she responds with this great song and magnifying rejoicing in blessedness. Look, look at what she says in verse 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Isn't that a beautiful statement? I mean, how often can we say that? Can we just say, man, my soul magnifies the Lord. I rejoice at God, my Savior. Now, since we're talking about music and song, it's easy for me, I don't know about you, to, to really gravitate toward the sad heartbreak songs or the angry punk rock songs or uh, maybe the <clears throat> songs that have more of a social commentary like uh, hip-hop and stuff like that. I, I love that kind of music. I love that kind of lyrics where you, where you actually reflect like the gut-wrenching uh, human condition. But we, we see the gospel when we hear the gospel, when we see the good news of Christ, when we see God making good on his promises to rescue and save and bless his people, we, we see the opposite. It is not only uh, you know, moping about heartbreak or, or being angry against something. Rather, it is something that is magnifying, rejoicing, and blessedness. Now, in verse 46, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. That's a great word. Now, if you think about magnifying, maybe if you were in science and you think about you have a microscope and you see something very, very small and you have a microscope or a magnifying glass, it magnifies to make something small seem big, right? That's really not how this word is used here. Because as magnification can mean making something small become big, that is not the case with the Lord. Right? Rather, think about a telescope seeing something very big, very beautiful, very far away, but making it come into a clearer view. So to magnify the Lord is not making him bigger than he is, but rather bringing him into focus to have a clearer picture of who he is. Magnification of the Lord is not like a microscope, but rather a telescope. Right? Seeing a beautiful star in the distance or a moon or a planet or a comet or what have you. You see, when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, this is not just some whimsical response of a young girl. That the word she's using there is, is very similar to the psalmist, is in Psalm 34. When you see that, that the psalmist is, is speaking and singing songs to the Lord that's pointing to the Messiah. That, that, that my soul magnifies the Lord. There's, there's an understanding of something big and great coming into clearer picture, coming into clearer focus. That's exactly how our response is to be with the Lord, with the good news. That's exactly what Mary's saying here. She's saying, look, I'm not making some small thing bigger. Rather, God is revealing to me something great and magnificent, and it's coming into a clearer view, pointing to Messiah, pointing to the identity of Jesus, the Son of God. My soul magnifies the Lord. She also responds in great joy. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Let me just give you a picture of the first century. Here's a young woman. She's not coming from wealth or prestige. She is a humble young girl. The first century uh, Palestine was the time of the Roman occupation where, where the Roman Empire had spread. They had political and economic control. <clears throat> the religious system of the day 
was not necessarily on point as it should have been. And its reports say that, that the taxation, both from uh, the temple and from the Roman Empire, people were taxed 70 to 80, maybe even 90% of their income. Which means if you were a farmer, 90% of your crops would be given to the government or to the temple system of the day, leaving you with 10% to, to barter with, to sell for money, to eat, to provide for your family. If you were a fisherman and you caught a hundred fish, you would have to give 90 of those fish away and have 10 fish to feed your family, to trade, to sell, to barter. It was a very dire time for God's people. It was not a time of thriving. It was not a time of, of freedom or blessing. It was a time of oppression. It was a time of hardship. It was a time of struggle. And Mary, who is this young girl who at the time was not married to a human man, gets news that she is pregnant. How would you react in that case? It would be very easy for you and I to say, man, look at our surroundings. Look at our circumstances. This stinks. If I were in the first century, I would probably write a song angry at the government. Right? If I was a first century fisherman, I would be like in a Palestinian punk rock band, angry at the Roman Empire. Right? Or maybe moping, writing some awesome uh, Middle Eastern country song about heartbreak and loneliness and sadness and oppression. Right? But you see, Mary did not look at her circumstances around her. She wasn't griping about the government, the oppression of the Roman Empire, or the brokenness of the temple system of the day, or her uh, still being a single woman. (laughs) She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul is bringing into focus what God is doing, how great he is. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, Her ultimate joy. I mean, rejoice means exceeding joy. Her ultimate joy was that God is her Savior. Now, how does that fly for you and I today? I tell you, there's a lot going on in my personal life, as I know there is with yours. And you can look around and say, man, uh, the economy is tough. Job is not going so well. Family is hard, whatever. It's really easy to look around and, and, and say, if, if I could just have this amount of money in the bank or this thing set up or if my work would go this way or if my relationships would look like this, then maybe I would have joy this season. But let me tell you, I don't think any of us in this room could say we are in a harder circumstance than Mary and the Bible at this time as a first century person in the Roman occupation, Right? She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She goes on to say, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I love that word blessed. We sometimes throw it around a little bit like somebody sneezes, bless you. you Or you can say, I, I feel really blessed. I mean, you know, good, good intentioned people will throw that around. I've, I've, I've done it when I say, well, you know, Jeremy, hell's business. Oh, we're blessed, you know. But really the word blessed means to find good favor because of who God is and what he's done. 
Right? It's not like circumstantial. It is, wow, things are good because God loves me. Things are, are good because God is providing for me and taking care of me. Things are good because God is making good on his promises that he's promised to his people throughout all generations. He's making good on those promises here and now. I'm blessed. It's exactly what Mary says. She doesn't say, well, since I have money in the bank, I'm blessed. Or since things are great with my family, I'm blessed. Or since things are going well on the work front, I'm blessed. No. <laughs> she says, I'm blessed because God has done something. Because God is my Savior. Because God has looked down on me and taken care of me and has done mighty and wonderful things for me. In fact, if you read in Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see how Jesus describes being blessed. Right, Things going well because of who God is and what he's done for his people. So we look at Mary's response to the good news that, that God is intervening on behalf of his people, that God is making good on his promises. Mary responds with a song saying she is magnifying and rejoicing and is blessed. And I want to ask you, what does this look like in your life? When something is magnified, what are you bringing into focus? I mean, what, is, what is the big thing that your whole life displays? Right? Is your whole life magnifying your talent or your skill or your reputation or your family? What is it that your life is bringing into focus? Or is your soul magnifying the Lord? What does it look like to have exceeding joy? Where are you rejoicing? Is it in circumstances? Is it in status? Or is it in who God is and what he's doing for his people? How do you feel blessed by God? Is it when things are going well? Or is it when you see that in Christ you are loved by God? You are accepted by God? You are forgiven by God? So Mary's song tells us a great deal about how to respond to the good news, to magnify, to rejoice, to know that we are blessed by God. And see, her song reflects God's goodness. I mean, this is what I love. If you continue down in the song, I mean, she says, I magnify the Lord. I want to bring everything about God into focus for us. I want to magnify the Lord. I'm rejoicing in God, my Savior. I'm blessed because of who he is and what he's done. Look what else we see in the song. He reflects God's goodness because he is mighty, he is holy, he is merciful, and he is covenant keeping to his people. Look in verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. She says God is mighty. He is powerful. He is strong. God is stronger than her circumstances. God is stronger than the oppressive government of the day. God is stronger than the broken religious system that she found herself in. God is stronger than the social stigma she probably faced as a single woman who was pregnant and not yet married. God is mightier than that, stronger than that. He is powerful. He is strong. If you look back throughout biblical history from Genesis to Revelation, you see that God time and time again has shown his might, his strength. He is always mightier than the mightiest army. He is stronger than the strongest government. He is more powerful than any force of nature. 
God is mighty and he is good. God is holy, verse 49 says. He, for he who is mighty has done great things for him and holy is his name. That means there's no one like him. Holy means to be totally set apart. It's hard for us to talk about God because there's no one like him. It's hard to compare him to anyone or anything because he's the only God. In the first century, there were many gods. It was common practice to have many gods, both in the Greco and Roman world, to have many gods. There was, there was a pantheon of gods to choose from. And in our day and age today, it's very common practice too, right? You know, Jesus may be good for you, but not for me. Or uh, we even water it down a little differently to say, well, you know, um, you know, maybe I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. <laughs> I mean, we're all spiritual. Come on. Even the most unspiritual people are spiritual. I don't like that statement. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Well, congratulations. You're a human. There you go. I'm not really human. I'm just breathing. Okay, great. That's how far down this rabbit trail shall we want. Let's go. Let's go back here. Verse 49. He who is mighty has done great things for him and for me, and holy is his name. There is no one like God. In fact, we've been in Deuteronomy for a few months, and we just saw in Deuteronomy 6 that, that uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one true God uh, that exists, and there is no God like him. He is holy. He is set apart. And this God is mighty. This God is merciful, verse 50 says. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse 52, who has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those from a humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. You see, God is very, very merciful. He cares for the undeserving. He cares for those who cannot care for themselves. He cares for those who are oppressed and who are broken and who are struggling and who are sad. He cares for the angry punk rockers. He cares for the sad, heartbroken, depressed country singers. He cares for those who are proud in their excellence and he cares for those who despair in their brokenness. He cares. He is merciful. I, I can't even wrap my hand or my head around it that the God who is so powerful... So mighty, so strong. I mean, a God who with a word spoke the universe into existence is kind enough to care about, you know, this little guy in Augusta, Georgia. Like, really? I just saw the movie Interstellar yesterday. I'm like, wow, that's a great movie. It's cosmically awesome. It really puts some things into perspective. If you think the Lord that can make this expansive universe cares about... You, who's merciful. He cares to the undeserving. The word merciful is, is a great, it's, we, we sometimes think it's, it's a very passive thing like pity. Like, oh, that poor, poor guy. That's not mercy, that's, that's pity. If you're just like, oh, that poor guy, oh, I'm so sad he's poor. Let's go over here. You know, that's pity, that's passive pity. But mercy is not passive. Mercy is not the same as pity. Mercy is actually very active. To be merciful is an active pursuit of showing kindness to the undeserving. I mean, God goes way out of his way to show his kindness to the undeserving people. All of us. Right? In fact, if you want to know how merciful God is, 
Look beyond your circumstances and look how God did not spare his own son to rescue his people. That's how merciful God is. That's why we celebrate Advent to show there's no God like our God because only our God can rescue us because only our God is mighty and powerful and strong. Only our God is so merciful to take up the judgment that's due us and take it upon himself. Only our God is so merciful that he would come rescue people who are undeserving, who are in utter rebellion. Only God is that merciful. So think about that this season as you look at Scripture and you see accounts of God showing His might, showing His holiness, showing His mercy. Reflect on that in your own life. In what ways has God shown His strength to you? I mean, what you're alive, that's one thing. You, you exist. So God did something amazing to bring you into existence. God has brought you to this point in your life. God has provided for you even through hardship and through brokenness. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I have so much brokenness and sin in my past. God has been so merciful to spare you from the worst outcomes of those things. And you're here. God is so merciful that he is not actively, he is not passively just pitying you, but he is actively pursuing your good for you. In what ways is God showing his mercy to you? This all comes because God is a covenant-keeping God. Verse 54 says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I love how Mary just like, just throws that at the end of her song. She's like, I'm, you know, she starts this great song, My Soul, very personal, very, I am this, you know, one lowly little Palestinian girl. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. She, she's, she starts this very, you know, personal experience just rejoicing and just praising the Lord but by the end of her song she like broadens it out to like redemptive history she says he has helped his servant Israel he has helped his people (laughs) in remembrance of his mercy he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever she she expands this beautiful song of praise about the lord beyond her own personal thing but says look at look at what god has done for his people look how wonderful god is he has made good on his promises abraham that's way back in genesis god has made good on those promises from genesis all the way to now how does he make good on those promises in and through his son jesus ultimately God is a covenant-keeping God. He makes good on his promises. Jesus is the fulfillment of the expectation that God would make good on his promises. Jesus is the embodiment of God's might, of God's holiness, of God's mercy. Jesus is the one who shows us that we are to magnify and rejoice and that in him alone we are blessed. So how are we to respond and reflect God's goodness? You know, I'm a musician by trade, so I love music, and I like to think all of us are like making some sort of song with our lives, you know, kind of hippie, whatever. Judge me. All of us 
all of us have the opportunity to magnify something with our lives, whether it's your own talent or abilities or your own ideology or philosophy or political stance or religious views. And I want to encourage you that in Christ, ultimately, Jesus is the one who magnifies God the Father, and that in Christ we have the opportunity to magnify, to bring into focus the goodness of God in Christ in our lives personally and to those around us. That in Christ we see that He is the embodiment of ultimate joy in the Lord because it is in Christ and through Christ that we are made right with God, that we can truly find our ultimate joy, that in Christ we are blessed because things are right between us and God and us and each other. So we must look to Christ alone, the author and perfecter of our faith, because he is mighty, holy, and merciful, and the embodiment of God's covenant promises that he made to Abraham and is making good on them for us today. So in response, I want to ask you this. What is the focus of your life this holiday season, this Advent? What is it that has your ultimate attention and affection? What is it that is uh, exciting you the most and where you're finding ultimate security and joy? It's, It's not bad to be happy with a lot of food. It's not bad to be happy sharing gifts. It's not bad to be happy to gather with your friends and family. It's a very good thing. In fact, I don't want to throw a guilt trip. You know, shame on you for eating turkey. Not at all. Feasting is biblical. It's throughout the Bible. Feasting is a good thing. Getting together with friends and family is a good thing. But ultimately, that is an opportunity for us to uh, reflect God's goodness to others. You may have heard last week, and you'll hear it again throughout Advent, as we say, we want to worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. That, that we want to worship God fully this Advent season, that we want to spend less on um, ourselves and in and, and, and turn give more to others, not only giving you know, monetary or, or tangible things, but giving of ourselves to people in, in service and to love all. And friends, I submit to you the only way that we can truly worship God fully and to have hearts that would spend less and give more and to have hearts that could love all is only an act of God in Christ Jesus alone. And so as we reflect on this, I'll just ask that you um, join me in, in prayer and repenting of sin and brokenness, repenting of pride. Repent means just to turn away from something and to turn to something else. We want to turn away from sin and brokenness. We want to turn away from selfishness and pride. We want to turn to Christ who reflects God's might and mercy and holiness and in turn makes good on the promises for us so that we can magnify the Lord, so that we can rejoice, so that we can be blessed in right relationship with God and each other. And that's good news for us. Uh, So let me pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your goodness uh, to your people throughout all generations. God, I do ask this Advent season that you stir up our minds, attention, and hearts' affection to you. God, that you would show us more of your goodness to uh, your people around us. God, that we would worship you fully in Christ. And in turn, that you would transform us to be generous people so that we would spend less and give more. God, that we would love all. 
and in so doing, uh, bring into focus uh, the gospel some, that we would magnify the Lord um, with everything we do and everything we are, because you have rescued us in Christ. You have made good on your promises to your people. You have ultimately shown your might and mercy and holiness in your Son, Jesus. And in so doing, we may uh, magnify, we may rejoice, and we may truly be blessed. So, Lord, I pray for those in this room, maybe who don't know you, who are exploring the faith this season. God, I pray that you would make that truth a reality in their hearts and minds. God, for those who do know you, I pray that we would be very humble this season and allow you to work in our hearts and minds, that we would not be um, blinded by the lights or deafened by the music or distracted by all of the festivities, but, but rather, Lord, we would have moments of pause where uh, we really um, understand the 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 great uh, the great wonderment that you give us in Christ, Lord. This, the amazing things you've done for your people, and God, that we would respond and, and worship um, and kindness and generosity and love to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, we're entering into a time of response now, uh, as we do every Sunday. Uh, at Redemption Church, we uh, respond by, uh, the worship team will come back and lead us in music. You can respond by singing, uh, by reflecting where you are, uh, by simply listening if you want to sit and, and flip through the scriptures. If you need to talk with somebody, grab somebody and talk to them. Uh, we also have uh, a giving table in the back. If you are part of the ministry of Redemption, that's a place where you can respond in giving. Um, and also we have communion set before you where if you are a believer, in Christ, we have um, the bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, and the wine and juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, if you're not a believer, um, we ask that, that you just stay where you are. Nobody's going to judge you for doing that. Uh, this is something that uh, is for Christians to participate in. And if you're not a believer, if you're just exploring the faith, uh, we ask that you would observe and just watch and and. Um, and um, rather we want you to accept Christ uh, rather than a ritual that maybe doesn't have meaning for you yet. Um, and if you are a believer, um, even if you're not a member here, if you're just a Christian visiting from out of town, we're glad you're here. And we would invite uh, you to come participate in this so that we would remember who Christ is and what he's done and also proclaim to one another um, who we are in Christ with that new identity. Uh, in Matthew chapter 26 records when Jesus institutes what we know as the Lord's Supper. It says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the, to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Uh, pray with me. Father God, again, we thank you for your goodness. I pray that as we respond now, you would stir up our um, hearts to repentance, God, that we would look away from pride and from brokenness and from sin, that we would look to you, God, and indeed accept the good news of Christ, who you are and what you've done for us, that you would, um, you would enact within our hearts an understanding of our brokenness and need for you. God, and that we would embrace the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. Um, God, I thank you that you are a good and holy God, and that in Christ uh, you have made good on your promises. In Christ's name, amen.